Today's sermon comes from Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Keter. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. A number of you know that I, I love to backpack, although the back issues recently have curtailed that hobby quite a bit. Uh, but when I go on a backpacking trip, a three to four day backpacking trip, there's a list of important things that I bring for the journey that I need. I need my little stove and I need my box of matches so that I can cook my ramen noodles at night with my canned chicken. Or if I'm really going fancy, I need my stove and my, my matches so that I can cook my turkey tetrazzini from REI. It's a, it's a step up. Uh, I need my sleeping bag. I need my thermorest so I can get rest at night to hike the next day. I need my moleskin to put on my heels so that I don't get blisters, debilitating blisters when I'm walking during the day. I need toilet paper because there's not bathrooms on the trail. Uh, I need my iodine tablet so that when I get water out of a stream, I can treat it so I can drink it and not get sick. And of course, I need my cliff bars so that in the afternoon when I get tired and I'm struggling, I can have a cliff bar and get some energy. But I need, I need a list of things. I need, I need a list of things for the journey that I'm going on. We're starting a new sermon series through what's called the Psalms of Ascent, and it's a collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that were songs, a collection of songs for the journey that God's people made three times a year to Jerusalem for the annual feast. They would go up to worship and to celebrate God's deliverance and God's salvation, and on their way, every trip, they had these songs, these psalms of ascent that they would literally sing on the way. And Jerusalem was, uh, was a higher elevation than the surrounding regions. So that's part of where the psalms of ascent get their name. They literally ascended, not only geographically, but they ascended in worship to the Lord. So they had these songs they would sing. Now, we don't journey three times a year to the modern-day Jerusalem in the Middle East. And that's because the temple has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so the, the focus now moves from Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21, the new heavens and the new earth, that that's where we're journeying towards. And these songs that brought much perspective and helped God's people thousands of years ago navigate life in a hard world, in a difficult world, in a pressure-filled world, are psalms and songs today that for us bring much perspective and help us navigate in a world that is full of the same kind of pressures, the same kind of tensions, the same kind of heartaches, the same kind of pain. So how do you navigate life in a broken and in a hard world? And to answer this, we're gonna look at navigating through conflicting words, navigating through shaping worlds, and then navigating with peace-producing judgment. So let's start with the conflicting words. The psalmist clearly is, he's caught in a tension. 
But, but he has two messages that are ringing in his, in his head and in his heart. You see, at the beginning, he, he recalls calling out to the Lord. He wants to hear the Lord's word in the midst of his distress. But then verse two tells you the other words that he's hearing. And it's the lying lips, the deceitful tongue, right, that's coming from the world. He, he lives in a world that's full of deceit, full of lying, a world full of truth spinning, a world full of truth withholding, of outright lies, a world full of manipulation, all the stuff that you and I are familiar with living in the world. And that's where the psalmist finds himself. The question is, where, does, where do the lying lips and the deceitful tongue come from? Where does it originate? We go back to the Garden of Eden. We go back to Genesis 3, when Satan's alien voice came into God's perfect world. And, and do you remember the first words that the evil one spoke to the woman in the garden? Very first words out of his mouth. Did God really say? Did God really say? Right? Immediately casting doubt on God's word, the truth of it, the life-giving nature of it. And then by the end of that exchange in that conversation, he says, you will not surely die right? if you eat from the tree. Outright lie, outright attack and assault on God's world and on God's word. That's where it comes from. That's where the deceit comes from. And we see it today. It permeates our world today. The lies and the deceit that is not in line with God's word. I'll give you a few examples. Human beings are basically good and nice. Uh, we're born innocent and self-sufficient. Uh, all religions eventually just lead to the same place. Truth is what you make it to be. Uh, that, that, that successful career is ultimately going to bring you happiness. Uh, lots of money is going to bring you joy. Uh, that boyfriend or girlfriend is going to take away your loneliness. Uh, that drug or that drink is going to ultimately comfort you from the pain you're experiencing in the world. These are just samples of the, the deceit or the lies that permeate our world that we live in. I have a friend who uh, recently was promoted in his company. And as his boss spoke to him and explained this new role that he wanted to move him into, uh, he asked, what, what would make you happier or what would, what would help you do this? He wanted to move him into it. And as he was trying to convince him, he said, listen, human beings are only motivated by two things, money and recognition. So what is it? What do you want? Or both. And then my friend said, I'm not motivated by either. I'll, I'll receive what is given, but that doesn't motivate me. You see, that's the... That's the lie of the world, the deceit of the world that says all you need is money or recognition. One of those two or a little bit of both will make you happy. All the lies, the different ways that they're manifested boil down to the same point. And that is, they tell you who you are and they tell you what's gonna make you happy with no mention of God. That's, that's the lie. Tell you who you are, tell you what's gonna make you happy apart from God. It's no mistake here that Psalm 120 follows Psalm 119. 
And Psalm 119 is this, it's the longest Psalm there is over and over about God's word, about the truth of God's word. And in fact, we see in Psalm 119, the tension between the lies of the world and the truth of God's word. The the psalmist over and over feels that tension between the the ways of the world and the ways of God and being caught in the middle. In fact, verse, verse 95 the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. That's the psalmist saying, I'm, I'm feeling the pull of the world. I'm feeling the influence, but God, I, I'm gonna turn to you. I want your word to guide me. Gloria Furman in her book, Missional Motherhood, she describes us as word-dependent creatures. That we are word-dependent creatures. We go back to the garden God spoke to the man and the woman in the garden. He gave them life-giving boundaries. He said, listen, this whole world is for you, except for this tree. He gave them uh, words of purpose and mission. He said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, watch over it, take care of my world. He gave them words of life. Why? Because God is a God who communicates. God speaks. And so he makes his children, he makes us in his image, meaning that we are absolutely wholly dependent on words from God. That we're word-dependent creatures, that the very word of God is spoken into our souls. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, that without the word of God, we're incomplete. And then you have Jesus when he's tempted by sin in the desert in Matthew 4. He says to Satan, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, this Bible that we, we hold, the scripture that we hold, is not just a tack-on to life. It's not just a compilation of principles to how to make your life a little bit better. This is the very word of God. And we're created to hear from God. And when we don't, we fall apart. We lose our purpose. I want you to think about marriage or a dating relationship or a relationship, real close relationship with a friend, right? What happens in those relationships when there's a communication breakdown or when there's, there's a lack of communication? The relationship suffers, doesn't it? Why? Because we're made in the image of a God who speaks and communicates and we're made to receive words. And so when a relationship has no words and there's no communication, the relationship suffers. And what do we typically do in that silence? When we're not, we're not receiving words from this person, what do we do? We usually create narratives, don't we? We break the silence in our own heart and mind and we start making narratives that are usually not true. He doesn't love me. He must not care for me. He must love his job more than he loves me, right? We create these narratives. Why do we create narratives in the silence? Because we're word-dependent creatures. 
We were made for words. We were made for narrative. We have to be receiving words. And if we don't hear the words from God, then we only are left with hearing the words from the world or the lies from the world. We're word-dependent creatures. So how do you navigate life in a broken world? That's the first, is to navigate through these conflicting words. That at every moment you're hearing a word, either from God or from the world. And you have to navigate through that. Second, you have to navigate through the shaping worlds. Shaping worlds. So the psalmist here, and you can sense it, is feeling this tension. This tension between opposing values. Opposing values, the values of the world, the values of God. He feels it. It's weighing in on him. And so he calls out to God in his distress who answers him. But what I want you to see here is there are two worlds. There's the world and there's the kingdom of God and they're pressing in on the psalmist, shaping and influencing. Look at verses five to seven. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar, too long have I made my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Those two names, Meshech and Kedar, those were actual places around Jerusalem. And they describe the, the Gentile world, the world that didn't know God, the world that didn't recognize God in his ways, and the psalmist is dwelling in that. It's, it's, it's really a picture of Israel or God's people scattered out in the region amongst the Gentile world, feeling the weight of a world that is very much opposed to the values of Yahweh or the values of the kingdom. It says that the world or these places hate peace and love war. What's that mean? Well, the word peace there is the Hebrew word for shalom. And it's that word that describes, we, we translate it peace, but it's, it's, a, it's a word that's hard to get any English word on because it describes absolute flourishing on every conceivable level. It describes a state of being where there's no chaos, no disorder, no dysfunction. And the psalmist says, I love peace. I'm for peace. I'm for God, shalom. But this world I'm living in Loves war. Now that, the word war there is a, it's just poetic. The Psalms are poetic. And it's poetic for disorder and chaos and dysfunction. The opposite of shalom, the lack of those things. And so the psalmist is feeling this pull and he cries out to God. In my distress, I cried out to God. I spoke with someone not too long ago. He left his job in the mortgage industry. And he left because from his senior bosses, he was getting pressure to sell points. And if you've gotten a loan, you understand what that is. If you, you, you buy points, you bring the mortgage rate down, but you pay a lump sum up front to bring that mortgage or interest rate down, which is immediate cash in the pocket for the bank or the mortgage company. And the reality is, if you don't stay in the loan long enough, you, you really, you lose money in the long haul. Well, th this person I was talking to said, I, I'm, I'm, I've got clients that I knew it was not wise for them to buy points. 
So he went to his seniors and he said, listen, I, it's just not wise for me to tell these clients that I have to, to purchase points. And their answer was this. They're adults. They can make their own decision. Now, I see what he was feeling. He was in a world that was being driven by consumption and profit. But belonging to a kingdom of God that has very opposite or opposing values. And he was feeling this tension. Here's the point. You have to understand that you are always being shaped. You're either being shaped into the image of the world or you're being shaped into the image of God. There's no neutral place. I think sometimes we think that, that we can walk through this world, we can live in this world and navigate and not be influenced by it. That's just not true. That we're always being shaped either into the image of the world or into the image of God. How does the world shape you into its image? We could have a long conversation here, but let me, let me give you what I believe is one of the primary ways that the world shapes you into its image. One of the primary values of the world is consumerism or consumption. Consumerism and consumption. And so every facet of our world is shaping you into a consumer, shaping you into one who consumes. Couple examples, advertising and marketing, right? What, what is advertising and marketing doing? trying to stoke your desires, right, to consume a certain product. Not only that, but they have research arms of the business that are studying you, studying you to figure out how you make decisions, to help you to, to figure out what drives you. And then once they figure it out, they package some words together and put it before you so that you'll consume a certain product. Uh, social media. Social media is based on consumption. Now, let me pause here because I realize almost everyone here is on social media. There's nothing wrong with social media. Okay, I'm not bashing social media, but I will say this. Facebook didn't stumble upon incredible success by creating a platform where you could encourage one another. It was established based on the fallen human heart, based on consumption. You present a reality of yourself so that it gets consumed or you consume. Or Snapchat. Just read an article recently about a, a, a platform that they added, which was basically pornographic. Took a lot of heat. I think they've taken it down. But the point is, and then, and then the article, they described how Snapchat started. I'll spare you the details, but it was not a uh, altruistic attempt to create a platform where you could encourage one another, right? See, our world is, is it values consumption and you're being shaped at every corner. Uh, the return policies at stores, you can return just about anything to a store and get a refund. I could, I think this afternoon, I could go get a rock in my backyard and take it to Walmart and get money from them. I think I could. When I was in college over the summer, when I was in college, I worked at a department store and a woman walked in with a blouse, a shirt that clearly had been worn a number of times. It wasn't even a shirt that was sold at our store and she got a refund. And I said to my boss, how in the world does that happen? You know what she said? The customer's always right. Consumption, entitlement. 
our world at every turn is shaping you into a consumer, can shaping you, is shaping you into one who consumes. And that can creep into the church. We'll save that for another day. But the question becomes this. So in a world that's constantly shaping you into its image, how are you shaped into the image of God? Notice what the psalmist says in verse one. Right? He's feeling this tension. He's feeling the tension between the ways of the world and the ways of God, and it's bearing down on him. And he says in verse one, he calls to the Lord and the Lord answers him. He calls to the Lord, prayer, and the Lord answers him. His word. We're word-dependent creatures. Prayer and word. Prayer and word. Right? And that's the, the, the rhythm you see in the Psalms is that. That when the psalmist feels the pressures of the world, whatever it may be, it's he calls out to the Lord. Right? So feeling the shaping influence of the world, it's I call out to the Lord. I pray and I hear the word of the Lord. God's word that needs to be spoken into me. See, word and prayer are our habits, they're shaping influences that redirect the desires of your heart. They're rhythms. You're shaped into the image of God through rhythms, through the rhythm of word and prayer. Continual rhythms. Think about the rhythms we have, the rhythm of corporate worship on Sunday, the repeated rhythm of our order of worship, praising the creator, lamenting the fall, cherishing redemption, longing for restoration. You realize every week we rehearse the cosmic story of redemption. Why? Because rhythms are what shape us. They shape our longings. They shape our desires. Uh, weekly, if you're in a community group, you gather with a community of people. Fellowship around the word, prayer, you open your heart to be known, to be cared for. That's a rhythm. If you have children and at night, you read them a Bible story and you pray with them. You're giving them God's word. You're praying with them. That's a rhythm. Rhythms are shaping. Now, you, here's the deal. You may walk home from a Sunday. You may get home and think, I just didn't get a lot out of that morning. The pastor's sermon was C minus. The music just, it wasn't that good. They didn't sing the songs I like. Right, you might think, that just really was somewhat of a waste of time. You may go to your community group and you drive home and you're having a conversation with your spouse and you go, eh. our discussion just, it was just kind of flat. Our prayer was kind of, eh. Like, I just felt like a waste of time. You may, if you have children, you may do a Bible story time with your children laying in bed, reading them a story, and they're picking their nose, and they're kicking the wall, and they're asking you questions that are off topic, and you get done, you pray, you walk out, and you go, that was a waste of time. And the answer is no. Because you're not shaped into the image of God by an individual moment. Yes, God can speak. Yes, there are markers in your life where you say the Lord showed up in an amazing way, sure. But you're shaped into the image of God by rhythms over the long haul. Because whether you realize it or not, you're being shaped by the rhythms of the world every day. The rhythm of TV, the rhythm of social media, the, the rhythm of your boss, your workplace, that's happening. That's happening. 
And it's those rhythms over the long haul that shape you. Think about a, 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 a pile of clay, right? It you don't just snap your fingers and a pile of clay turns into a sculpture, right? There's shaping that goes on. It takes time. It's the same in your walk with Jesus Christ. So rhythms are important. And rhythms are what shape you into the image of God. I'm always fascinated when golfers go through swing changes. So if you're not a golfer, bear with me. If you're a golfer, you'll understand this. Or maybe you've seen an interview on TV after a golf round. A golfer's going through a swing change, which means they're changing some dynamic of how they hit the golf ball. They go through a round, they have a poor round, shoot a high score, and the, they get interviewed after the round and they'll say, ah, the whole round I was caught between two swings. I'm trying to do my new swing and, and mid-swing, mid I'd revert back to my old mechanics. What's, the, what's going on there? They know what they're supposed to do. They cognitively understand how they're supposed to swing differently, but they're caught. And they will inevitably say, I need more reps. Because the more reps I get, my muscle memory will come in place and I'll be able to stick with a new swing. Rhythms, repeated rhythms, shape you into the image of God. Whether in the moment you feel like something's happening or not, the rhythms of grace and the rhythms of habits are what shape you into the image of God. So how do you navigate life in a broken world? You navigate through conflicting words. You navigate through shaping worlds. And then finally, you navigate with peace-producing judgment. How does God answer the psalmist? Verse two, psalmist says, deliver me, Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. And God gives the answer in verses three and four. Now, before I get to that answer, there are two primary ways that we err when it comes to navigating through the tension of the ways of the world and the ways of God's kingdom. And the scripture points to two ways that we err. The first is this. One way that we can err is to compromise. We just give in to the shaping influences of the world. Right? 1 John 2.15 speaks against this error. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's talking about your heart's desires. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's one way. Right? We can just be shaped by the world. We give in, we compromise. The other way we err is animosity and anger, and hatred over the ways of the world. We get, we get angry, we get hateful, we get full of animosity. Romans 12 speaks against this. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So how do you navigate through this tension between the ways of the world and the ways of God? Not compromise, not animosity. So what does God say in verses three and four? What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, what does this mean? The glowing coals, uh, that was charcoal that would come from the broom tree. So you've got glowing coals, hot fire. 
You've got arrows put together. That represents judgment. God's judgment. That's his answer. Now you say, wait a minute. The psalmist says, I love peace. I love shalom. The world loves war. And God's answer is judgment. Doesn't sound very peaceable. But let's remember what peace means. Is that word shalom. It means absolute flourishing. It means no chaos, no disorder, no dysfunction. And so shalom is impossible without judgment because judgment is God purging the world of everything that is contributing to a lack of his shalom. Judgment is a purging of everything that doesn't belong in God's world. We think of judgment as the cranky explosion of a parent, right? A child disobeys and a parent just explodes in anger, loses to temper, right? We, simply, we, we, we tend to think of God's judgment that way. There's nothing cranky about God's judgment, nothing. God's judgment is simply his commitment to remove the cancer from his world that's eating away at shalom. That's, that's judgment. And that's why it's shalom-producing judgment or peace-producing judgment because it removes all that is not contributing to shalom. And so we cry out like the psalmist. We cry out for justice. I mean, especially now in our world, all the school shootings, all the racial violence. And we cry out, God, bring judgment, bring justice. But the same justice that we cry out for out there is the same justice that we need in our own hearts. The same sin, disorder, and chaos out there is the same sin, disorder, and chaos that is operative in your heart. And that's where the cross of Jesus Christ comes in. That at the cross, Jesus took on judgment. He took on your sin, chaos, disorder, everything contributing to a lack of shalom in his world. He took on himself. He was the one who received the warrior's sharp arrows. He was the one who received the glowing coals from the broom tree. He took on judgment. And when you trust Jesus Christ, when you trust that he took judgment for you on the cross, you're filled with the peace and shalom of God. And you navigate a world that is still broken, that is still chaotic, that is still full of, of disorder, but you navigate it with the peace of God. Three times a year, God's people would travel to Jerusalem and they would sing these songs. They sang Psalm 120. And they sang them on their way to Jerusalem and they got there and they worshiped and they were reminded of God's deliverance and his salvation. They were shaped. Their hearts were redirected in worship. They were reshaped. But guess what? The party would end. The annual feast would end and they'd go back home and they'd be back in the world. The Gentile world, a tough world that was full of brokenness and a lack of shalom and they had to live it out. We don't travel to Jerusalem three times a year. 
We come to worship at church once a week. We go to a community group once a week. We, we pray. We read scripture in our homes with our family. We, there are rhythms in place, right, that redirect our hearts, that reshape our hearts so that when we go back into this world that desperately needs redemption, our hearts are reshaped in the right way. That's why rhythms are so important. That's why worship is so important. Prayer and word, right? Corporate worship on Sundays as the family of God. Family worship in a home with parents and children. Personal worship, right? Between you and the Lord. All of this reshapes us into the image of God. So that when we live in this world, we live in this world with a completely different set of values, with our hearts being reshaped towards the kingdom of God and being able to share that and bring others along. Let's pray. Father, we confess that navigating this world is hard. Every one of us in this room has been affected by the sin and brokenness and, and even evil of our world. We don't have to convince ourselves that this is an easy, nice, kind place to live. This is a, a hard, broken world. And yet, Father, you have given us resources to navigate through it. You've given us your word and we are dependent on words. I pray that we would, we would listen, believe, hear your words on a regular basis, that they would shape us knowing that in passivity, we're being shaped by the world. Father, I thank you that in the midst of the tension of what we face in this world, there is the promise that you have done something about the lack of shalom in our world that you sent Jesus to take judgment for us on the cross, to bear in his body the sin, the chaos, the dysfunction of a broken world so that he could put it to death. Father, thank you that your judgment's not a cranky explosion. That is a steady, committed, steadfast, born out of love, move to purge this world of everything that doesn't belong. Father, I pray for those here this morning that maybe have never trusted Christ, that are bearing, or that will bear judgment on their own, that they would see the beauty and the love poured out at the cross. They would bow their heart to you, Jesus. They would receive you, trust you, and be filled with the shalom and the peace of God. To be able to navigate a hard world with a peace that passes all understanding. Father, as we continue to worship, would you cause our hearts to erupt in song, just as God's people thousands of years ago would sing on the way to Jerusalem and then sing in the temple your praises. Would we now sing your praises for the redemption, for the salvation that you have bought through Jesus Christ? the only Savior. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.